Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go. Welcome in, everybody. It's David Summers. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring and back into time. Let's get wall-to-wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. All right, Ron, tell us how hot it is in the Great Smoky Mountains. What's going on up there? Well, I can't brag about them too much today, my man. Uh, I went to the gym uh, about a couple hours ago, and uh, it was 92. And we got humidity here today, so the uh, heat index was 100. uh, I think it was about 100 and just over 100, man. So, wow. I got a little bit of what you guys are getting down there. Yeah, you know what? When I go to the gym, I get out of the car, and I'm sweating before I get to the door of the gym. So, anyway, yeah, we're, we're well, It wasn't like, quite that bad. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's like 100, 102, even possibly 103. I think that's a little, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration on one of our weathermen's parts. But anyway, we're gonna, it's going to be really hot, and we're talking about actual temperature, so... Hey, we just we just have to deal with it. And somebody said it happened about eight years ago. And I was like, uh, okay, okay, if you say so. All right. Yeah. Hey, Ron, your Southeastern two-territory story has really captured the hearts and minds of fans all around the world. This true wrestling history is unlike any before it. And now we know that fans can hardly wait for the next studcast. This one, this studcast, number 313, this week's episode is titled... Tennessee wears stopper and Gulf Coast failing. It leaves us, as you can imagine, with plenty of questions. So how hurt was the stomper and how bad was the Gulf Coast territory as you entered the month of September in 1979? And we're getting close. Yeah, man. Uh, well, that's two very good questions, Dave. Uh, I have a great way to explain it. Uh, in this studcast, we're going to find out about the stomper. After last week, uh, he got admitted to the hospital. And then we're also going to find out uh, if we were uh, failing in uh, both territories. So we're going to do that by making a a simple comparison of the attendances from this week in 1979 to the attendances one one year earlier, exactly, in 1978. Ah. So believe me, man, uh, nothing's going to be clearer than that to show exactly what was happening in both the territories in the beginning of September 1979. 
you know, I don't, I don't think you've ever done a comparison like that in any stud cast that I can recall. This should be an extremely interesting one, no doubt about it, and a very unusual ride. I'm sure this stud cast will be as loaded with history as they all are. So, where are you taking us first? Where does the trail start today, Ron? Well, we're going to do what, what we normally do in both territories. Uh, we're going to give listeners the weekly card. And in this case, it's going to be the first week in September. It's actually the last day of August, just about. So it's, uh, I'm calling it the first week of September, 1979. We're going to talk about the TV show to promote the cards. We'll give the results of the matches and the attendances associated with both the territories. Uh, then, and then, however, in this studcast for the first time, I'm going to go back exactly one year to the first card in September of 1978. We're going to talk about that card and its attendance, and we'll compare the numbers to where we are in this studcast in 1979. Hmm. And uh, hopefully we'll have enough time uh, if we get there uh, to get in another learning tree question also, Dave. All right. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Fans always love it when you talk numbers, and I'm always intrigued by that. So I have no idea what the cards were in both territories in September of 1978. So that'll be interesting. So do you want to start with the 1970 card, 1979 cards and then compare it to what happened the same week in 1978? And what what territory would you want to start with today? Well, man, let's, uh, let's start in Tennessee. And, uh, it should kind of explain the title, uh, you know, uh, in this studcast, uh, Tennessee's uh, where's, where's the stomper, obviously, and the uh, mm-hmm. Gulf Coast, uh, obviously, we're going to find out, is really failing. <laughs> All right. So lay it out for us. What about the next card in the Knoxville Coliseum, Friday, August 31st, 1979? All right. So this is the 1979 card. It has Ron Sexton versus Larry Cheatham. Paul Orndorff faced the Korean assassin, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. There was a United States Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Champion Tony Charles defended against Dean Ho. And in a very unusual 10-round boxing match, Bob Armstrong is back on this card, and and he's actually fighting. Uh, Boxing, but we're going to call it fighting, Norvell Austin. And then there's a Southeastern Tag Championship match with no disqualification. My brother and I, Defending against Tor Tanaka and Alexei Smirnoff, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Main event was for the Southeastern Championship. New champion, Dick Slater, who had won last week in that match where where Stomper got hurt, is going to be defending against Jimmy Golden, managed by Norvell Austin. Okay, that's a, that's a really good card right there, Stubb, but I noticed one name missing. So where was the Mongolian Stomper on this card? Last studcast. He had torn Gorgeous George Jr., who else? Let's see, Tora Tanaka, Alexei Smirnoff, even the Korean assassin, torn them all apart and instantly became a sensation of the Coliseum crowd. Everybody was just going crazy over the stomper. Well, after the Korean assassin, uh, who was basically Kevin Sullivan with a mask on, uh, who was managing the stomper, and uh, he kind of screwed up in his uh, management uh, opportunity and he cost stomper his southeastern belt uh, so these four guys you just mentioned had to deal with trying to stop the stomper he went into a temper tantrum he did not like the idea 
that he lost his belt, and especially the way that it happened with Kevin Sullivan. So when that when they finally did, uh, they, they left the Mongol, uh, all four of those guys that you just mentioned, eventually got control of the Mongol. Three of them <laughs> beat the hell out of him. And, uh, and Gorgeous George Jr. laid there and was darn glad they did. Wow. And then uh, he had to be taken to the nearest hospital after the match. He was admitted. And he was still there the next day when the TV was recorded. Wow, obviously he was hurt pretty seriously. I, I would guess not booked on the next car because no one knew if he was going to be able to wrestle or not. So what about the TV show the next day to advertise the card that you just gave us? Well, in spite of the fact my brother had had his head shaved after the stomper was taken to the hospital and my brother went to his match with Jimmy Golden, loser leave versus the, his hair, and uh, all the fans could talk about after the Stomper match was what what went on in that match and what was the Stomper going to do, you know? Uh, and uh, when nobody knew uh, at this point that what he's going to do and how long he's going to be in the hospital, but wow, it's what everybody wanted to talk about. Basically, the TV show show opened up with Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin, less with with them at the set. Behind them on the big set was a still shot of Robert. Uh, it showed Golden holding one arm and Norvell on the other, and a barber was finishing shaving Rob's head. Uh, Les had the director roll the tape, uh, and they watched about the last minute of the shaving of Rob's head. <laughs> and the Golden and Norvell, they came to the set prepared. They were already celebrating, man. They had him a big bottle of champagne, and they even offered some to Les, but he obviously refused it. So then uh, Jimmy changed the subject. To, to how important that win that they just watched was for him. And uh, he said, you know, to prove it less, he goes, I've been here for a long time. He goes, I haven't had a shot at the Southeastern Championship belt in almost a year. And uh, he goes, uh, I'm going to get it because of what happened uh, and, and Robert Fuller having his head shaved. Uh, so uh, Les stopped him and said, yeah, well, you know, Jimmy, uh, we didn't see exactly how you won the match. We just watched some of the head shaving. He said, uh, you know, uh, we didn't get to see how your friend here, Norvell, made that win happen for you, man. He says, he says so we can watch that now if you two guys would like. You know, so Jimmy didn't like. He, was, he got mad. He said, he said, I don't have the time. He said, I'm in the first match here. He goes, and my manager, Norvell, he's going to be standing in my corner just like he's going to be standing in my corner next Friday night when I beat Dick Slater for the Southeastern Championship. So they both left the set, and they went to the ring with a huge round of booze, naturally. New, new Southeastern champion Dick Slater then came, joined Les at the set with comments uh, while Jimmy was wrestling. And, uh, and his comments was about a lot more than just Jimmy. He was extremely concerned about Norvell Austin being in Golden's corner. And, uh, you know, he told Les, he goes, Les, uh, you know, I watched the match with Robert, and, and what they did to him was just horrible. He goes, and uh, and they could do that to me and take the championship from me. He goes, I'm, I'm really concerned about this match. So then the second TV match uh, featured the United States junior champion, Tony Charles, who hadn't been on TV for several weeks. Uh, he was going to be uh, defending his title against for the first time against Dean Ho, the Hawaiian. And uh, so the next Friday night, uh, uh, he joined, uh, Dean came out and joined Les for some comments about Tony. 
and uh, obviously Tony got him another win on TV. Wow. And uh, he did it with another one of those tremendous, uh, uh, wow, uh, whatever. I guess he calls them throws. Throws. That was the yeah. English way, <laughs> the throws. He, yeah. uh, he hit him with another spectacular <laughs> throw on the end. All right. So that, that sounds pretty cool. But all right. What about now? I think you got a personality profile coming up, stud. Yeah, Les, you know, he, he was joined by uh, Gorgeous George Jr., who had to be helped to the set by Tor Tanaka, Alexis Smirnoff, and the Korean assassin, uh, who was Kevin Sullivan. And Gigi looked like he'd been run over by a truck. <laughs> and anyway, he had a Mongolian truck ran him over, you know. Uh, his head was heavily bandaged, uh, one of his arms and one leg was bandaged up. Uh, and uh, they watched the fascinating match from the night before where the stomper went crazy on the Korean assassin, Kevin, after obviously Kevin made two mistakes back to back that got the stomper beat. And uh, and then he allowed, uh, you know, uh, obviously Gigi had to admit, you know, I maybe made a little mistake in letting somebody else other than me manage the Mongol, you know, but... Uh, but then, uh, you know, he was extremely upset, Gigi, about what the Mongol had done to him. So fans in the studio were enjoying the video, man, almost as much as the live action from the night before. And they were cheering again when the Stomper did exactly that. I mean, when he went crazy on Kevin, then he, he profi- then uh, Tanaka came, uh, then uh, Smirnoff came. Uh, wow, and he just continued to beat the heck out of all three of those. And when Gorgeous George got there, uh, Gorgeous George got the worst of all of it, man. And uh, so, you know, they were sitting there watching that tape. And uh, then Gorgeous George, you know, uh, he, he started screaming for the studio to shut up. So, <laughs> GG's attitude picked up, man, right away, though. Cause, and the studio's attitude went down when the three of those four guys – and the video finally got Stomper stopped, and they began to beat him, and they ultimately left him unconscious. A video finished with the Stomper on a stretcher, headed for the ambulance in the back of the Coliseum, and everyone in the studio was booing as Stomper was carried out. Gigi screamed for him again, to shut up, you know, that he said he, said he knew the Stomper was still in the hospital, and obviously... Uh, he wasn't on the card for the next week, which meant he's he's hurt pretty bad. And the, and he said he hoped the idiot would never be on another card and in the hospital for good. <laughs> that that you know he said you know that by any chance if the Mongolian stalker was ever able to get back in the ring with any of his men or with him being anywhere around, he was going to put a bounty on the stomper's head. And he told us, he said, I'm going to start with $5,000. Oh. He said, I'm going to give $5,000 to any man who can put the stomper down for good. <laughs> and he says, and he said, I'm willing to substantially raise that price if necessary, Les. Uh. You know, that money will go up if it doesn't happen right away. Hey, did you ever notice when the bad guy yells to the crowd, shut up? They, they usually don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they never do. <laughs> All right, so listen, that's a very interesting interesting profile there, Stud. Hard to imagine, but it sounded like the Mongolian stopper had instantly become a baby face. So that's pretty cool. All right, who was on next? Well, man, the rising star Paul Orndorff, man, who was really getting over. He was facing the Korean assassin uh, the next Friday night. 
Uh, Sullivan had lost a loser lead match to Dick Slater three weeks earlier, and then he, the very next day, puts on a mask and calls himself the Korean assassin. So uh, in this TV match, uh, Orndorff used one of those flying football tackles to win, man, uh, which was very appropriate since we're September 1st, we're in fall, fall time. The University of Tennessee uh, opening their football season, and uh, I guess Orndorff wanted to do his, wanted to put a, let them know what a tackler he was. So <laughs> last match on the TV was Tor Tanaka and Alexis Smirnoff. And uh, they were getting a shot robbing my Southeastern tag belts the following Friday night. And before they went to the ring, Les invited Dick Slater to the set. And he told Dick he had a special guest that had sent an interview uh, for Dick, especially for Dick to see before his title match the next Friday night. But the studio went silent. They didn't know who to expect. Uh, and the next face they saw was a guy that they hadn't seen for more than six months. It was Bob Armstrong, who was at this point now a star in the Georgia Territory. He wasn't wrestling in either of the Southeastern Territories. He'd gone home. Wow. I let him go home, which I, he very much needed hmm. time with his family. Wow. So Bob did an interview, and he said he was coming to Knoxville the next Friday night to do something for Dick Slater personally. And he said, uh, I hope you're watching this, Dick. But uh, he says, I'm going to be in a boxing match against Norvell Austin. And he said, I guarantee you, Dick, that you don't have to worry about Norvell being at ringside to manage Jimmy Golden in that Southeastern Championship match because he said, I'm going to knock Norvell out cold. He said, Austin won't be awake until you've already beaten Jimmy Golden. So the crowd exploded. They really wow. loved that. Uh, so Dick thanked Bob uh, for the backup and said he couldn't wait to see him. And along with a whole bunch of others of us that hadn't seen him in a while. And he left the set, uh, and then Les had another spot. He invited Rob and I to bring our Southeastern belts to the set. Wow, okay. Was that going to be the first time Robert had been seen in public after losing his hair, and how was he handling that? Yeah, well, you know, it, yes, it was. I mean, he, you know, he'd lost it the night before, but... Uh, uh, the fans hadn't seen him since, so obviously, yes. And, uh, and and he handled it a heck of a lot better than Jimmy Golden. I'll just put it that way. Jimmy was still wearing that silly-looking shower cap and the strap underneath his chin. And uh, Rob walked out with me proudly, man. Uh, he had, a, had his bald head, and uh, he got a standing ovation from the studio crowd. They were just really, really uh, letting him know that they didn't care whether they had hair or not. So... Let's apologize for Rob for what had happened to him the night before because Norvell Austin was the reason that he lost the match and that Austin interfered in the match. And uh, he, he started explaining that he, he wanted to get uh, our comments for the next match uh, with our future opponents, Tanaka and Smirnoff. So uh, we spent the – and that's who was in the last match. So they're in the ring at this point. And uh, we spent pretty much that entire match talking about – the Mongolian Stomper, who was the biggest surprise of the night before. Uh, we also welcomed Bob back, and we wish Slater good luck in his match against Jimmy Golden. You know, I've been wondering about Bob. I haven't heard you talk about Bob in a while, so you've answered a lot of questions right here in the last few minutes. That TV really had everything. What happened the following Friday night? 
Well, there was someone in the Coliseum that night that no one was aware was there until the kind of the evening progressed. Uh, Ron Sexton uh, was in that first match. Ron Sexton was a formal a former local referee. He got his start uh, in wrestling as a referee, which wasn't uncommon. Uh, you know, he graduated from uh, being a referee to actually being a wrestler. This was going to be his first Southeastern match. It was a 15-minute time limit match against Larry Cheatham, and uh, that first match ended in a draw. Paul Orndorff uh, took care of business over the Korean assassin managed by Gordon Stewart Jr., uh, and he tried to help his assassin, uh, you know, uh, Gigi, obviously. He tried to help everyone that he managed win. And uh, he tried to help him cheat a little bit. And Gigi nailed the referee from behind. Uh, then uh, he nailed Orndorff. And then he put his assassin on top of Paul. And, uh, you know, Gigi, I'm sure, was really happy. Hey, I've got this one in the bag. And suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, there stands a Mongolian stomper in street clothes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Right behind him. And, wow. And he, he took off running, man, for the dressing room. Nobody could have caught him, I don't think, man. He was running. He looked like a sprinter. And then every day, everybody in the building stood up at this point, man. They, they were so happy to see Stomper. Uh, gorgeous George Jr., uh, you know, had gone to the dressing room. And the Korean had Paul Penn, you know, uh, because of GG. GG had already made all that happen. And uh, so... He had a Korean on top of uh, Orndorff, and the referee was still down. So the stomper went right in the ring, and he stomped the Korean assassin in the back of the head, and he had street shoes on. I don't think that felt probably pretty good, and no doubt, to, to Kevin Sullivan. And then, then he put Orndorff on top of Sullivan, and he disappeared into the crowd. When the referee finally got up, he counted out the Korean assassin, and Paul Orndorff was still undefeated in Southeastern. Then Tony Charles uh, beat Dean Ho for the United States uh, Junior Championship uh, match. And then Bob Armstrong was really taking care of Norvell Austin in the boxing match, man. Norvell was not a very good boxer. Bob was pretty good at karate. He was pretty good at boxing. He was a Marine. He could use, do anything with his hands. And uh, so he was really, he was racking Norvell big time. And he hit him so hard uh, that he knocked him through the ropes and out on the Coliseum floor. Uh, Jimmy Golden, who wasn't supposed to be down there, he ran down there and he kind of got Norvell up on his feet and he got the referee, get Armstrong back, take him back across the ring. And as the referee was pushing Armstrong away from, uh, from uh, Jimmy and Norvell, Jimmy shoved something in the Norvell's glove. And then uh, Jimmy left the ringside. Norvell got back in the ring, and he hit Bob with that hand, that right hand, and uh, actually beat Bob. He knocked Bob out rather than Bob knocking him out. Then the Southeastern Tag Team Championship match was no disqualification match. It was Rob and I against Tor Tanaka and Alexis Smirnoff. Gorgeous George Jr. came to the ring with him. But this time, man, he was constantly looking over his shoulder. For the stomper, he wasn't paying attention to the match much. And the Mongol uh, showed up again, man. But Gigi saw him, and he ran again. And since it was a no-DQ match, uh, Stomper just came right on into the ring. And Rob and I just backed off and let him do his deal, man. And he had an opportunity to settle the score with those two guys to knock on Smirnoff, and he did exactly that. Boy, he left them both laying. 
And then he just calmly got out on the floor and disappeared out into the crowd again. <laughs> we walked over and covered both of them, got the pins, and uh, pretty easy win for us. Well, then in the Southeastern Championship match, uh, this was uh, uh, Jimmy Golden uh, against uh, Dick Slater. Uh, Norvell uh, was at in Jimmy's corner, uh, and then then he got involved in the match. But by this point, Bob had had time enough to recover, and he showed up at the ring. <laughs> And wow, it kind of got really nasty down there, pretty wild. And uh, Slater ended up uh, retaining his belt with the help of Bob. I tell you what, that was an exciting night for fans, no doubt about it. All right, how about attendance for both of the Knoxville Wrestling Companies that weekend? Well, in Southeastern, in the Coliseum, uh, the crowd actually dropped from 4,000 the week before to 3,500. And after everything we've been trying, uh, you know, it was pretty disappointing, man, to see it uh, uh, a little bit less than what it was the week before. Uh, the Knoxville Fives All-Star, uh, that group, uh, they were still, they weren't in Chilhowee Park that week because the fair was in town. And they were in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. And, uh, you know, that wasn't a very good place, fans. It wasn't a very popular venue for the crowd, mm. you know. So the guy that was usually looking at those crowds for me and let me know kind of what they were drawing, uh, he said that he thought the crowd was only probably 500 people. Wow. Okay. So I've been eager to get to this part of this part of the studcast because the comparison of the first week in September of 1978 to the same week in 1979. I think you said you were going to start with the card and then the attendance numbers for both years? Yeah, I think that's uh, what we'll kind of do, man, is uh, let's back up to 1978, uh, same week in 1978, same weekend, basically. And uh, for the first time ever, uh, we were running two nights in a row in the Coliseum. Uh, we were there on a Thursday night, August the 31st, and on Friday night, September 1st, uh, that was the big meat coke tournament. And uh, that tournament winner presented the lady that selected him uh, to win the tournament, a mink coat. That was on the second night of the tournament. And uh, and whoever won the tournament got a shot at Harley Race for the NWA world title three weeks later. Wow. I, I remember that weekend very well. I think both nights sold out. Yeah, they did, Dave. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was another record, uh, that the Coliseum record. And no sporting event had ever sold out two consecutive nights in a row in that building. So both nights were over 5,700, which was a sellout. And, uh, and they stopped. They, the police, you know, fire marshals were pretty, pretty on top of things there. So both of those nights ended up with sellout at about 5,700. Uh, and it was uh, the first night uh, uh, was a Thursday night. So the first night sold out on a Thursday night at 5,700 people. So in those two back-to-back -back nights in 1978, we drew 11,400 fans, 5,700 a night. Wow. Uh, worked out to be two nights uh, with 11,400 fans in two nights. On the same August the 31st night, exactly one year later, the one that we just talked about, the night we talked about, Instead of 5,700, we only drew 3,500. So our crowd had dropped 2,200 fans 
almost 40% from what that crowd was one year earlier. So it was a perfect example of what, what a wrestling war did to a territory. So fighting the war in the last nine weeks alone, we had turned Jimmy Golden and Kevin Southern heels. We shaved two wrestlers bald. <laughs> we right. turned one top heel baby face, and business was still down 40%. So the other wrestling company was certainly not doing any better than we were, They're, you know, and maybe even worse. Uh, and there, there was really only one conclusion for this. Uh, mm-hmm. The Knoxville War was killing the sport. Wow. Uh, you know what? That's a great way to make your point, Ron. Those figures do not lie. I'll tell you, this has been an eye-opening first part to this studcast. And when we come back, we're going to be riding southward close to 400 miles and do the same with the Gulf Coast Territory. That's coming up when this studcast continues. Okay, studcast fans, the new Ask the Stud 8 has already set a record. Find it on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. These historical shows contain questions from fans all over the world to the man that has more answers than just about anybody in the history of the sport. Hear him challenged by some of the most knowledgeable fans ever and raise your wrestling intellect with every new answer. There are now eight of them on YouTube Southeastern Rewind with number nine coming on Saturday, September 16th, 2023. Don't miss any of these historical gems. Best thing about them, they're all free on YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Hey, welcome back in, Studcast fans. Episode number 313. That's the one we're knocking out right now. It's called Tennessee Wears Stomper and Golf Failing. All right, so Stud, you made your point in the Tennessee Territory about trying everything and obviously just not getting the results that you expected. So my guess is things are not going to be looking any better in the Gulf Coast Territory, maybe even worse if that's possible. So before we get started again, I got to ask a question. Were you losing money every week at this time? What was that like for you personally? Well, yeah, yeah that, that, that's a fact. Uh, I mean, definitely we were losing money, and, uh, and it was mostly me losing the money uh, because uh, uh, my partners, uh, you know, they had not been in the business before. They mm-hmm. hadn't uh, put anything back in case things went bad. We'd always had good business down south, and uh, now we were really struggling down there. We had this war. We were struggling in Knoxville. So, and I didn't even mention in the first part of this studcast that the Knoxville Fair was starting up for about two weeks at this point, uh, during this same time period. Hmm. And that always adversely affected our crowds uh, in that first couple of weeks in September. So, uh, plus our Knoxville TV station was soon going to be removing our show entirely for one Saturday. And they did that every year for basically the annual Jerry Lewis March of Dimes telethon. Uh So, So without TV... And being that business was not as near as good as it had been, uh, we weren't going to try to run at all. So we were going to lose an entire Friday night coming up in the month of September. So it was a difficult time. And that's, you know what, Stud, we all remember that back then. That's how it was on Labor Day weekend because you were going to see Jerry Lewis when you went to bed, when you woke up. It seemed like it lasted for a couple of days. And uh, the March of Dimes and the, the, the telethon, that's, that's pretty amazing. And 
and you guys, of course, uh, lost time because of that. So I can't imagine what kind of stress you were going through. The more we spend on 1979, the more I see why it was such a hard year in your career. All right, let's get to the Gulf Coast Territory. We're going to be returning to Mobile a Wednesday night, August 29th, 1979, I think it is, two days before the Knoxville card we just talked about in the first part of the show. So set this up for us. Who was on that Mobile card run? Okay, this is the 1979 card, right? So this card, uh, you know, was not only going to be in Mobile, but it was going to be the same card to Montgomery and Dothan. And we did that quite often. That wasn't unusual. Ron Slinker was in the first match against Ted Oates. The wrestling pro was taking on the Inferno. Roy Lee Welch was meeting a new wrestler that was just coming in the territory called the Hunter. Uh, Ricky Fields was facing Herb Calvert. There was a six-man elimination tag, the Samoans and Crusher Blackwell against the Assassins and Ox Baker. The main event was the Southeastern title match. Uh, the champion Austin Idol versus Gladiator number one. All right. I hate to say it, Stud, but these cards have been looking worse every week. So what about Louie? Was Louie Tillette still doing the booking? Yeah, he was, man. I mean, uh, you know, we we uh, weren't in a position to change him. We didn't expect to have to, but uh, that situation going to change fairly soon. Mm. Uh, but, yes, he was there, and uh, obviously uh, Louie was having a trouble. Find a new talent. He had found uh, the hunter, which was a guy named Rock Hunter. Pretty good talent. Uh, you know, Rock Hunter was, uh, like I said, a pretty good worker. He was out of Atlanta. He was good friends with Jody Hamilton, who was the original assassin. Both of those guys, the assassin and Rock Hunter, had worked for me in my first year in the Tennessee Territory. And uh, you're right, Dave. The underneath card, basically, uh, it, that's where the first two matches and the first three matches of this event were uh, really weak uh, mm -hmm. and uh, always in the territory when your first two or three matches weren't good. It, it was a real signal that your territory was in trouble. Yeah. And it seemed like Louie was, was on a roll and maybe it was a short roll because Hulk Hogan, did, I mean, uh, who he came to be and Louie brought him into the, the, the whole thing. So it just seemed like everything seems flat. So, what was on the TV show to promote this card? Yeah, well, you know, you had the Hulk, and on the same week that the Hulk went, so did Billy Spears. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, yeah. I mean, you lost two major stars there, and, uh, you know, that, that really knocked business back, and uh, it made it very difficult for Louis. You don't pro replace a Hulk very easily. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Billy Spears was a dynamic uh, manager. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, it was a really costly thing. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, Billy Spears had had this uh, problem with uh, Austin Idol. I mean, uh, he had, Louie had been through a lot of stuff down there in a short period of time with, uh, and there was reason. There was a reason for what was going on. But as a booker, though, you know, it was always very difficult to set up a TV, a good television. If you didn't have a, a, a good card and a good group of talent, then uh, your top two matches on this particular week, the top two matches were the only things on this card that uh, made any sense, you know, and that were strong. And so you had to, he had to really work, Louis, on this TV to get anything out of it. So, so in order to get much of anything out of the matches, 
he had to use his underneath boys against his top guys on the TV Mm -hmm. to kind of ensure that the quality of the matches on TV were going to be good. You surely didn't want to have bad matches on TV. That just accentuates your problem. So this TV show opened up with the Southeastern champion, Austin Idol, at the set with Charlie Platt. And Idol was extremely upset. The referee had made a decision on a recent match in which uh, Idol was in a handicap match. And uh, Charlie said that he had not seen the match. But, uh, you know, he but he told Idol, he said, you might want to explain the rules uh, for this particular match to, to the folks out there. And to me, too, Charlie, basically saying, Austin, I know you're mad here, but you need to tell us why. So Idol did exactly that. And he was more than happy to. Idol loved to chat anyway. So, you know, he said, uh, you know, I was in a handicap match, you know, me against two gladiators, he said, you know. And uh, he said, it was a crazy match. I don't know who booked this. But he goes, I should have never been wrestling two gladiators by myself. And he goes, and the deal was, if I lost the match, whoever the gladiator that pinned me or beat me, you know, then uh, I had to wrestle him for a championship. And then he said, uh, you know, and if I won the match, you know, then uh, I never had to wrestle these guys again. It was that part of it was good. I loved that part, but I didn't like the other part so much. <laughs> so then uh, Charlie says, well, oh, you know, we've got a tape here of this. And uh, I said, I don't, so, uh, you know, often let's watch it. So the video showed Dick Steinberg, who was gladiator number one. It picked up the very end of the match, and the gladiator had a sleeper hold on Austin Idol. And uh, Idol pulled the referee, reached out, grabbed the referee, pulled the referee into both of them. And uh, everybody went down. And, uh, you know, so he got to break the hold up, kept himself from losing, basically, and uh, kept himself from obviously being put to sleep. You know, uh, he saved himself by using the referee to, uh, to do it. So it showed the referee then stopping the match. He disqualified Idol, and he raised the gladiator's hand. So Idol started screaming again, right? He goes, now you look, look at this. He says, he goes, this is ridiculous. He says, the referee stumbled into us. You know, he, said, he didn't want to say I pulled him in there. He said, the referee stumbled into us, you know, and then he said, if he hadn't, he said, I would have never been put to sleep. He said, in fact, I've been wrestling for years. And he says, nobody's ever beaten me with a sleeper hole. Wow. He says, my neck is just too strong. They can't, it won't work on me. So he told Charlie, he says, uh, you know, Charlie, I'm not going to put up my belt. I know I'm supposed to put up my belt against the gladiator here that beat that beat me by disqualification, uh, you know. But uh, he says, this is not going to happen because uh, he says, I'm not going to wrestle either one of them ever again. So he was basically changing the card in the process. So he jumped up from the set and he went to the ring uh, for the first TV match. He was in the first TV match. His opponent was Roy Lee Welch. And Roy was a pretty darn good wrestler, man. And, uh, you know, that the, Louis was doing what I said. He was putting some pretty decent guys in there against top guys mm-hmm. so they had good television match. And it was a very good competitive match. Charlie said it was. And Charlie said, that, you know, it was a very good, he said, up to the point, he said, where I had to take a shortcut. And uh, Roy had him kind of going. Roy, Roy was, uh, Idol was having to, you know, uh, he was having to actually fight for, to, to win this match. And uh, so uh, 
Same kind of thing happened again. He said Roy was behind Idol, and uh, Idol grabbed the referee and jerked him into both of them. And uh, he said that uh, Larry Brock was the referee, great referee. Larry went down hard. Charlie said Larry went down hard. He hit heads with, uh, it looked like he hit heads with Roy. And then Idol uh, pulled a short rope out from his tights. And uh, so Roy Lee was trying to get back up to his feet. And uh, Idol put that rope around Roy's neck. And uh, then referee's down. He, mm. There's no referee at this point. Mm. And uh, he started choking him from behind. And uh, so the gladiator entered the ring, <laughs> Dick Steinborn. And uh, Idol had his back turned, so he just slapped a sleeper hold on Idol from behind, right? And the studio crowd went crazy, right? Uh, so the gladiator uh, put Idol to sleep, right? Idol said, nobody had ever done that. You can't do it. My neck's all, all this. And uh, then when he put Idol to sleep, he got Roy, rolled him over on top of Idol, and they left the ring. Uh, Larry Rock rolled over there, crawled over, and counted the champion out, and boy, the studio really exploded. So the gladiator came back. Charlie said the gladiator came back by the desk, and he said he leaned over so he could be heard on the microphone. Microphone. He says, "I guess he's going to have to defend his belt against me now." He said because I definitely just put him to sleep. <laughs> we all saw it, right? <laughs> so, so then it was time for the first inter interview of the show, and it was Austin Idol. And uh, well, he went into, you know, and that interview went into all three TV stations and that's because they were going to be wrestling each other on, on all three cities. Mm -hmm. And Idol was wild with anger. <laughs> he was still screaming that he, I've never been put to sleep. That wasn't a sleeper hold. He choked me. That's a choke hold, he said. And, uh, and he says, now he's really messed up. He goes, I'm going to pull the mask off of him in this coming week. And uh, I'm going to do the championship match because I'm going to take his mask off. I'm going to let everybody know who this really mm. is. That's a pretty good good start to this TV. So what was next? Well, the new arrival, the guy named the Hunter, got his first southeastern Gulf Coast TV win. Mm. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be a pretty good talent. Uh, uh, and, um, so uh, uh, he's he's uh, he he was a quality guy, a really good wrestler, basically. All right, what about the personality profile? Well, the Samoans and Crusher Blackwell they watched a video from Pensacola, which is shot four days before this TV show, where the assassins were defending against the Samoans, and Ox Baker came to the ring to save the assassins' belt for him. Uh, so uh, Crusher Blackwell came down uh, uh, in this same video to help his Samoan friends. And boy, that match, it got really crazy. And uh, so that match finally stopped. Uh, but they were coming back the next week in this six-man elimination tag match, which is on the card in all three of those cities. So uh, this TV show was going in with two very unusual six-man tag matches on TV back-to-back. -back. The Samoans and Crusher Blackwell, uh, went straight to the ring after the profile, and wow, they lit the studio up, man. The Samoans, uh, the fans were really in, liking these guys. Mm. Crusher Blackwell was a star. And uh, then the Southeastern Tag Champions, Assassins, and the uh, destructive Ox Baker, they ended the show. Uh, they ended up leaving their three opponents laying, all three of those guys. So uh, <laughs> two tag matches on the end, two six-man tags on the end of the show. Uh uh, Louis was pulling out all the stops to make it uh, pretty decent. Wow. 
it really turned out to be a pretty good TV show. So what happened? Let's go to Mobile, Wednesday, August 29th, 1979. All right, so Ron Slinker uh, won over Ted Oates. Uh, the wrestling pro, Tarzan Baxter, beat the Inferno. The Hunter got his first Mobile win, uh, and he got a win over Roy Lee Welch. Uh, Ricky Fields, who hadn't been on uh, any cards in a while, uh, was pulled back in, uh, and he wrestled the, uh, and lost uh, to Herb Calvert. Six-man elimination tag had to be stopped. Uh, both of those teams got disqualified, got pretty wild, and, uh, and I'm sure it was the same way in all three of those cities. Uh, they were they were two good teams there, and then you got Ox Baker and uh, Crusher Blackwell thrown into the combination. So I can imagine those matches were really good. And then the Southeastern Championship match, Austin Island Gladiator wrestled to a 45-minute time limit draw. Pretty darn unusual, but uh, you know I'm sure uh, Gladiator trying to get the sleeper old and uh, Idol trying to prevent it. Uh, that, uh, so that turned out to be a pretty good match too, I'm sure. Hmm. They're going to be coming back again in the next week. It's going to be no time limit and no DQ match. All right, cool. It really turned out to be better than what I thought it might, kind of like the TV show five days earlier. All right, so let's look at attendance in the three major cities the week, the same week in 1979. Well, everywhere, like I said, uh, they had the same card and, uh, and everywhere, uh, business was still failing. Uh, it was, uh, I guess that's the only way I can put it. Uh, it was not doing good. Montgomery went from 1900 uh, the week before down to 1700. Mobile went from 2500 down to 2200. And Dothan went from 2100 to 1900. Uh, those three cities alone fell from 6500 to 5800. Wow. Okay. So it begins to add up after a while. So are we now going to get the comparison of the card and attendance from Mobile in 1978 compared to 1979? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where we are now. And, yeah. uh, and before I even start into this card, uh, I'm going to go back to the Knoxville as an example that Knoxville card from 1978 was the mink coat tournament a two-night event wow a tremendous card uh and they drew uh, uh, a total of eleven thousand four hundred people so uh listen to this one dave <laughs> this was august 29th 1979 card okay mm -hmm. mobile alabama uh and uh it was exactly one year earlier on august the 30th 1978 uh, that uh, so this card looks nothing like the one we just discussed. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were coming off of a spectacular. In 1979, when we got to September, we were coming off of a spectacular first summer in the southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. I mean, we had, we had taken this territory from dead in March to selling out almost all the towns. And uh, so we'd been making some dramatic changes down there. And also in Knoxville, and uh, and we were starting to do that now, you know. So the biggest change, well, we were doing right now is we were switching bookers. In uh, 1978, uh, we had I'd been there doing the booking. Rob had been in the Knoxville territory, uh, and so right in this same time frame in 1978, uh, Rob was coming uh, going south, 
into the Pensacola Territory. And uh, and then uh, we were taking place. He was going to be taking my place as the booker. And uh, I'd been there as a booker since we opened the doors on March 3rd, 1978. And I was going home to Knoxville. Uh, Bob Rue, on the other hand, was uh, he was taking over the Knoxville booker job mm-hmm. where Rob had been the booker. Yep. And, uh, so Rob had booked this mink coat tournament. That was Rob's last event. And, uh, and he left uh, after that event in 1978. So here was what was on that Gulf Coast card from Mobile on August the 30th, 1978. It opened up with Norvell Austin against Charlie Cook. Uh, Robert was taking his uh, Gulf Coast, making his very first match, his Gulf Coast debut against Lord Raven. And then he was going to be flying back to Knoxville the very next day for the Mink Coat Tournament. And that was going to be his last weekend in Tennessee. He was coming to uh, to Florida for good, down south. Uh, Tony Charles was facing David Schultz. And there's a great match right there. A Mongolian Stomper was also making his first ever appearance in the Gulf Coast. We were sending him down there because we were preparing to send him there to help out down there. So uh, and so he was also flying the next day back for the Mink Coat Tournament in Knoxville. He was on that show. And uh, he was going to remain mostly in Knoxville until it came time later in the fall. Uh, then he would be going uh, down there with us in 1980 uh, permanently. Mike Stallings was on the card. He was a star in the Gulf Coast at that point. Back in those days, he was wrestling against Don Carson, who was also a star back in 1978. Uh, there was a Texas death match for the Southeastern Tag Championship. Had the original Gulf Coast assassins, which was Roger Smith and Randy Colley, Moondog. Later on, Randy Colley's going to become one of the Moondogs. They were managed by Billy Spears. And uh, they were defending against Ricky and Robert Gibson. And then the main event was a steel cage match. Me against um, my steady opponent for all those months since March all the way into uh, the 1st of September, Bob Armstrong. And, uh, we were, me and both, me and both were both flying out the next day too because we're in that mink tournament down uh, up in uh, Tennessee. Okay. All right, so absolutely a phenomenal card right there. So I hope it was in the Mobile Municipal Auditorium with that 14,000 seating capacity. So how'd you do in attendance? What was it like? Okay, well, that's pretty amazing, man. I mean, uh, it was over 11,000. Wow. And and it appeared, uh, you know, that there were very few empty seats in that building. (laughs) I mean, it was almost full. And uh, so when you compare that, uh, 11,000 uh, crowd in, uh, in the, on this night in uh, 1978 to the 5,800. And not, I'm not going to just compare it to Mobile's numbers. To com- I compare it to all three of the, ten- the, the uh, Gulf Coast Territory cities. Right. Mobile, Montgomery, and Dothan, all three of them only drew 5,800. We drew 11,000 in Mobile God. by itself in 1978 compared wow. to the three big cities. In 1979. I tell so, you, I, I think that says everything that need be said, my man. <laughs> it's mind-boggling how you just laid all that out. I never expected to hear anything like this today. I was just thinking, Stud, if you added the total of the last three nights' crowds 
together in August of 1978, Mobile on Wednesday and Knoxville on Thursday and Friday night. I think it would add up to like 22,400 fans in three nights. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, ain't it? I mean, that's amazing. It is. truly amazing. And that's right. It would be 22,400 fans in three nights. Uh, And uh, that's basically more than 7,000 fans a night. Uh, Wow, you got to have big buildings to be able to do that type of business. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think your your, your math is absolutely correct. And, And I've always felt like 1979 was a horrible year for me. But after this studcast and after looking at these numbers, <laughs> I'm sure it was the worst year I ever had. Can I get a witness? About it. <laughs> All right. I keep saying that every studcast now is the best ever, but this one has really opened my eyes. A lot of eyes have been opened on this one, probably. Sorry, but it looks like we're not going to have enough time for a learning tree question this week, Ron. But you have left us with a lot to think about. So where are we writing in the next one? Well, the bad spot I was in, you know, is, is not going to change much. Uh, the, the, neither territory is going to just explode overnight. Uh, I can see, I can see uh, nothing but uh, as Barnett, as Jim Barnett would say, I can just see nothing rather than nothing but money, money, money. I can see nothing but losses, losses, losses. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, wow, it was not a good situation here. And, uh, so, uh, you know, we're in the Tennessee Territory. We're going to be returning to the Coliseum again. Uh, affairs in town, but we're still, I'd rather be in the Coliseum than to be in uh, Bill Myers Baseball Stadium, right? So uh, the Mongolian Stomper, uh, he's going to drive Gorgeous George Jr. crazy, man, in the next few weeks. Uh, he's going to lead Gigi to placing the bounty on his head. And uh, Gigi's going to start out with the men he has now trying to collect on the bounty. And uh, soon, man, uh, uh, there's going to be some big-name stars that come looking to collect on the bounty. Uh, you know, uh, nobody's going to do too good against the stopper. And I've been able to, you know, with the help of Ed Harrison, uh, who's a great friend of mine, uh, to get more of these all-star cards. And, and I've been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. and he has now gotten me – several of these all-star cards. So next week, we're going to be able to announce an entire all-star card along with what we were doing in the Coliseum. I think they're going to be in Bill Myers Stadium uh, again. Uh, then we're going to go down uh, next week into the Gulf Coast Territory. Uh, I'm going to begin to send some new talent down there and some old stars there too. Mike Stolley. Big name you remember from uh, 1978. Uh, he's going to come back and work in the in the Gulf Coast territory, mm-hmm. and he's going to bring his 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 real biological cousin, uh, who's going to become one of the biggest baby faces in that uh, Gulf Coast territory, uh, as a masked man called Mr. Olympia. Jerry Stubbs yeah. and his cousin Mike Stallings ah. are going to go there and wrestle as tag team. Players. I never knew they were cousins. I, ne- I never knew that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, not only that, these boys were such great athletes. Both of these guys got uh, drafted into pro pro baseball players. Wow. They, they were both good enough baseball players that they 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 didn't make it. 
to the big time, but mm-hmm. they both got, uh, you know, drafted. Uh, so I had the opportunity with yeah. great athletes. So uh, the Gulf Coast fans are going to start to see some different talent. Mike Stallings is a name they're going to remember. Uh, they're going to fall in love with Jerry Stubbs. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know that, and those two boys together make a great team. So uh, that's uh, that's going to help down there. Then the struggle continues. Uh, you know, as another wrestling company starts uh, piecing itself together uh, down there in the Gulf Coast. Uh, so they're. So there don't seem to be any relief for me in 1979. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> I got to ask you, how long have you just met Jerry Stubbs at this point in your career? Your careers? Uh, Jerry had been on the some of the Knoxville cards uh, in 1978. He had done uh, he'd done a lot of shows in Knoxville, mm-hmm. and uh, he was an up and coming guy. You could see that he had it. Wow! And he was going to be a star. Uh, but he had yet to go, had yet to be sent down to the Gulf Coast. And so uh, he's going to get this trip down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, Jerry is going to become a phenom there, man. I mean, uh, wow. Uh, as Mr. Olympia, right. he's going to be his biggest, that's the biggest he ever got, I think. I was, and I was going to ask, so was this the first time he was calling himself Mr. Olympia? He was not there yet as Mr. Olympia, but uh, oh, yeah, that's where okay. he He's going down there. He's going to move his family there. He yeah. really, really loved that Pensacola area. Yeah. He moved his family down there. And uh, after about uh, uh, two years as Jerry Stubbs, he's going to put on that mask and change his name to Mr. Olympia. He's not only going to be a star for Southeastern Gulf Coast, he's going to go west into Louisiana mm. and become a huge star for, for Mid-South. Uh, as Mr. Olympia. So, uh, Jerry is a very talented wrestler. He really is. I got to say, thanks to your friendship with Jerry, and I know you guys have known each other a long time. We've had a few lunches and a few dinners together, and he's such an easy guy to to get to know. And so, I know when he gets out to those fan events, like you've been to and and been talking about lately, he's he's just one of the best in the crowd. Oh, yeah, man. Jerry's a a natural. And a natural athlete, natural wrestler, and a great, great personality, a good dude. Uh, and then uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm hoping Dave uh, will maybe get to a learning tree next week. Oh, that's cool. And because you've really been knocking those out of the park lately, and I hate we ran out of time on that this week. All right, folks, on Facebook, you know the deal. Go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud on Facebook. Like him, follow him there, become friends with a living legend. Exact same thing on Twitter. Just put in Ron Fuller Welch, follow him on Twitter as well to keep up with everything on Ron's social media. Check out the fantastic website, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Every studcast ever done, including this one, 43 Super Studcast, and the Stud Store, all kinds of souvenirs, including Ron's thrilling lion novel, Brutus. Get your personally autographed copy of Brutus there. You also get... Ron's YouTube Southeastern Rewind. You got to check this out. It is red hot and it's free. It has 323 videos. The last 90 stud casts, including this one, 52 stud stories, and now 62 short rides with the stud. Don't miss the new Ask the Stud number eight question and answer show. It's, it's fairly new on there and a lot of folks are checking it out. It's already set records Subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern 
Rewind. Put Southeastern Rewind in the search on YouTube. See the very best in old school wrestling. That's what it's all about. All right. Any last comments, Stud? Well, I want to thank everybody, obviously, for joining us again, man. Uh, uh, and uh, please tell others about what we do here and uh, and come back and ride with us again next week. Uh, really, really appreciate the great fans we have around the world. And take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud. LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.